This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Indigenous boy lived in a Canadian residential boarding school, but after years of mistreatment, he ran away, determined to somehow find his way back home to his family. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Homebound. The boy tried to find his way back home. Did he make it? Just a note before starting, Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. It was about a year ago that I heard a really tragic news report about children's bodies being discovered in Canada. It was in the province of British Columbia that a gravesite was found which contained the remains of 200 Indigenous children. These bodies had been found on the grounds of a former Indian residential school. This school was called the Kamloops Residential School and it operated for 90 years between 1890 and 1978 and had been run by the Roman Catholic Church. It had long been speculated that children who had died while attending the school weren't returned to their families but were buried on school grounds and remained undocumented deaths. Former students of the school themselves wondered what had happened to their schoolmates who simply just disappeared never to be seen again. A former student said, I lost my heart. It was so much hurt and pain to finally hear what we assumed was happening there. The story is so unreal that yesterday it became real for a lot of us in this community. Sometimes people didn't come back. We were happy for them. We thought they ran away, not knowing if they did or whatever happened to them. There were discussions that this may have happened that they may have passed. What I realised yesterday was how strong I was as a little boy, how strong I was to be here today because I know that a lot of people didn't come home. It has been estimated that 150,000 Indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families to attend these schools, a practice which also occurred here in Australia. The children suffered unimaginable physical, sexual and emotional abuse. The graves uncovered at the Kamloops School were not the first. Other sites have also been found in the past. The residential boarding schools were just one of the policies introduced 
as part of the Indian Act of 1876, which aimed to assimilate First Nations people into Canadian society. The government was given complete control over all First Nation affairs, including Indigenous lands. Reserves were set aside to house Indigenous communities, and over the decades since this Act was introduced, the First Nations people have faced racism, segregation, discrimination, social inequalities, loss of land, and the dispossession of cultural traditions. The residential schools were essentially institutions of assimilation. Children had to give up their cultural beliefs and practices and were subjected to abuse in all forms. One of the many residential schools that operated in Canada was the Cecilia Jeffrey Indian Residential School, which was located in a place called Kenora in the province of Ontario. It was in the year 1963 that a boy was forcibly taken from his home to live at the boarding school. Cheney Wenjack was nine years old and from the Ojibwe First Nations group. As well as the traumatic experience of being taken from his family, Cheney had also never been to school before, but why he was then sent to the boarding school at age nine was not known. His family simply had to comply with the law, so Cheney arrived at the school not knowing much English, and for the first two years he stayed in grade one. Then he was placed in a remedial class for slow learners. It was then on a day in October 1966 when Cheney was playing at school with two friends, Ralph and Jackie, who were brothers. They had both tried to run away from the school before, as many children at residential schools in Canada had. Some were found and returned, while others remained missing, presumed dead. Unlike his friends, Cheney had never tried to run away, but on this particular day, Ralph and Jackie wanted to try and run away again, and Cheney also agreed to go with them. The boys planned their escape, waiting for a good time to run. We were at the swing set. Now, I asked, not yet, you said, turning round and round in my seat, chains chiming over my head. When the tension is complete and there is no way out of it. Now? Now, yes. I looked behind me only once. Didn't see nobody chasing us. Just my swing dancing in the sun, dancing wildly where it was. They kept running until they finally felt they were far enough away not to be seen, and then kept walking, trying to make it to a railway stop in a place called Reddit, where a man lived that Ralph and Jackie knew. Cheney lagged behind the other boys, as he wasn't as strong as them, and they had to wait for him while he took rests. While following the railway tracks, Cheney found a train schedule and a route map, and took it with him, thinking it would come in handy to help them find their way to the town where they were heading to. By some miracle, after hours of walking, they made it to the train stop, and found Mr. Benson's house, where they stayed the night, finally having something to eat and recovering from their exhaustion. The next day, they continued on to the house where Ralph and Jackie's uncle lived. He was very surprised to see the boys, 
given how far away the school had been, and they were very hungry and tired. He knew they wouldn't last much longer and told them to go back to the school, but they refused, saying if they were sent back, they would just run away again. Then the next day, another boy named Eddie arrived at the house, who had also run away from the school. He was also Mr. Benson's nephew. Then one morning, the boys went out with their uncle in a canoe to do some fishing, but there wasn't room for Cheney, so he stayed behind. While the boys were happy to stay there with their uncle, Cheney's plan was to try to make it home to his father, and he decided to leave. He knew the bush would be cold and asked their uncle's wife for some matches so that he could light a fire to keep warm. She gave him six matches and put them in a glass jar with a screw cap so that they would keep dry. So Cheney set off, eventually finding the railway tracks and continued walking along the tracks. The temperature had dropped to between minus one and minus six degrees Celsius and he had to try to walk through snow squalls and freezing rain, only wearing a thin cotton windbreaker. But he had the matches which gave him some comfort. She gave me matches, gave me matches six wooden matches. She put them in a small slim glass jar with a screw top lid, and I fingered that jar. I put it in my pocket, she said, can't go into the woods without them. I smiled at her and left. And I kept them dry, and as long as there were six, I'd be fine. As long as there were six matches in that jar. But Cheney didn't want to use the matches too soon and kept them safe, but all the while getting colder and hungrier. I navigate the mud. I walk up by the path, jumping to the right, and then I jump to the left, on a secret path, the one that nobody knows, and I'm moving fast on the path nobody knows. And what I'm feeling is anyone's guess, what is inside my head, and what's in my chest. I'm not going to stop, I'm just catching my breath. They're not going to stop, please just let me catch my breath. Run along the river on the secret path. I will not be stuck. I'm not going back. I can see my father's face warming his feet by the stove. We used to have each other. Now we only have ourselves. His glowing face by the stove. His orange face. Daddy, make the rain go. Freezing rain and ice pellets. Walking home, I'm covered in it. I am soaked to the skin. There's never been a colder rain than this one I'm in. I think I'm in despair. The wind is in the trees. Basically, just wanting for something to come along and eat me. It was about three days after Cheney had left the other boys that a train was travelling along the railroad about 12 miles from the uncle's house. And that's when the driver saw something on the road beside the track. It was Cheney and he had succumbed to the cold and the extreme conditions. He was found laying on his back. It seems he must have fallen many times, as he had bruises on his shins, forehead, and over his left eye. He didn't have the map that he had taken with him, so it was assumed 
that he had thrown it away, as he wouldn't have been able to read the English anyway. But he still did have the glass jar with the six matches still inside and dry. So during his three-day walk, he had not made a fire. Perhaps if he had, he may have survived. The driver alerted the section crew and the police were called, with one saying, It's a story that should be told. We tell this man he has to send his son to one of our schools and then we bring his boy back on a luggage car. Chaney was put into a coffin and onto a train. His parents were grief-stricken when finally reunited with their son. They buried him in a small cemetery near a river and vowed not to send their other younger children to the school. Chaney's father had been kept from going to the school himself after another boy in their family had died in much the same way as Chaney had. It was determined that Chaney had succumbed to the extreme cold and lack of food. The autopsy noted that Chaney had a large scar that ran from high on his right chest down and up over his back. There was no record of this operation, but he must have had his chest opened in early childhood. An inquest was held into Chaney's death. Quote, the Indian education system causes tremendous emotional and adjustment problems. A recommendation was made that Cheney's school be staffed adequately and that they should make an effort to develop personal relationships with the children in their care. So this intensely sad story of little Cheney Wenjack happened some 60 years ago and he would have been one of the many Indigenous children who had run away from a boarding school never to be seen again. So the question is, how do we know about this boy's story? Well, it had been by sheer coincidence that a journalist named Ian Adams had been in the town of Kenora, Ontario, in 1966, doing a story about the racial tensions between the Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples, when he just happened to be reading a local paper and saw the story of Cheney's death. He recalled, it didn't even mention his name. How could a kid who had apparently run away from school just die and nobody know his name? Ian had looked at Cheney's body, but I'm not sure how this came about. But here is what he said. I remember looking down at the dead body of Cheney way back then and promising him that I would do everything I could that his name would not be forgotten. Ian went on to attend the inquest into Cheney's death and wrote in an article. So this, then, is the story of how a little boy met a terrible and lonely death of the handful of people who became involved and of a town that hardly noticed. But Ian did not expect the reaction that he got after the article was published. I received all kinds of complaints and I got a letter from the CEO of McLean Hunter Publishing, who said to me in a letter that he didn't think that my kind of writing belonged in a magazine. Oh my God. Ian believes that journalists should be pursuing the truth of residential schools more vigorously. Obviously, a lot of things went wrong, horribly wrong, tragically wrong. We still don't know yet how many kids died. We should know. We should know how this terrible policy was originated and then was hung on to for so many years and kept running for so many years and also with acquiescence. 
because of the silence of the media about it. There are these parts of our past that we have to approach. We can't treat them like a blank page, that they didn't happen. It was then, many, many years later, only about five years ago in 2015, that a Canadian singer-songwriter named Gord Downey heard an interview with Ian in 2012, talking about Cheney's story. He then decided to do a project in honour of Cheney. Gord wrote a number of poems about Cheney, which were then made into songs and featured on an album called The Secret Path. After completing the album, he also wanted to create an animated film to visualise the story behind the music, and he found a graphic artist named Jeff Lemire, who agreed to work on the project. Jeff had already created a number of award-winning graphic novels and comics. His work on Cheney's story took two months to complete, and he described it as, quote, the most emotional thing I've ever done. We wanted people to be as moved emotionally by this story as we were so that they couldn't ignore it anymore. And would you believe that all these years later, two of Cheney's sisters, Pearl and Daisy, are still alive? His sister, Pearl, said, I swore that I would do something about it the day he died. I would not have my brother's death swept under a rug. But as time went by, she felt that Cheney's death was being ignored. So when Gord Downey created the album and film, she said, I sat there crying through the whole process. She was so heartened by what Gord had created. I've worked for so many years to do that. I was glad when it finally came out. The creator moves mountains. And that's how Gord came to read the magazine story about my brother. He wanted to do something meaningful. Pearl vividly remembers the day Cheney was taken away to the residential school. We looked at each other. I knew, looking at him, that he was really sad to go. The school had been 600 kilometres from their home. She said, there wasn't only abuse, there was also loneliness. He didn't have us. He was just by himself. When he decided to go, he wanted to go home. When he cried, he cried alone. He was mischievous. He had a wicked sense of humour. He always felt that he had to do something for you. Pearl also remembers the day her little brother's body came home in a casket. I started off very small. I swore that I would do something about it the day that he died. After completing the album and film, Gord performed two concerts in Ottawa with the music from the album and Pearl and many members of her family were in attendance. As the band played, the film was played on the stage behind them. The concert finished with Pearl singing a traditional healing song while holding hands with Gord, which you can hear in the background. After finishing the song, she spoke to the audience. My father died in 1987 without ever knowing why his son had to die. My mother still waits. To this day, no one has told her why her son had to go. Isn't that just amazing that their mother is still alive? And the other wonderful thing which has come out of Gord's Secret Path film is that Cheney's story has now been incorporated into the curriculum across Canada. And Cheney's sisters Pearl and Daisy visited a school in Toronto where the students were learning about Cheney 
and the residential school system. And here is some audio from that visit. Secret path is so graphic that I thought that uh, children would not be able to handle it. I was hesitant in uh, introducing it to the children. I just thought they wouldn't handle it. They couldn't. Uh, it wouldn't register to them. It was just too much pain for them. Students of Room 350 are so excited and honoured to have Pearl and Daisy here and to share the letters that they have written. So I'm going to start with Halima. If you'd like to come up, Halima, and stand here and you can share your letter. Dear Wendjack family, my name is Halima and I'm from Toronto, Ontario. My class thinks we could change people's thoughts by telling your story and showing the world that it's not only ourselves that matter. Because we shouldn't be treating people different because of the way they look or the way they are. I think it's good to know Cheney's story because it's not just him that went through these troubles. My teacher said that about 6,000 kids who went to the residential school died. That is even more kids than we have in our school. I can't imagine what I would do if my brother died. I think they are going to make a difference because um, they're our future. They're starting off early, realizing the problems that we have in Canada, you know, and I think they will carry it through in their lives. I think uh, Gord will be very proud to hear how much these children understand already. On a secret path The one that nobody knows And I'm moving fast On the path nobody knows I'm a stranger Just as Pearl did, I have so much respect for a musician like Gord, whose project about Cheney wasn't about making profits, as so much pop music is, so it was really sad to hear that he passed away about a year after he released Cheney's story. And in fact, he had been diagnosed with brain cancer while he had been working on the project, but he didn't reveal it publicly. He was only 53 years old. His family said in a statement, Last night, Gord quietly passed away with his beloved children and family close by. Gord knew this day was coming. His response was to spend 
this precious time as he always had, making music, making memories, and expressing deep gratitude to his family and friends for a life well lived. In the wake of his diagnosis, Gord only fought harder for what he believed in, social justice, environmentalism, and reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, and his commitment and passion will continue to motivate Canadians for years to come. He will be sorely missed. And take a listen here to Gord himself. At 52, I'm really, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You people living up north who can't be gotten to, literally, physically. So sorry. And the sorry relates to the residential school issue. Among that, yeah. Among others. But it's become the focal point of your latest project, Secret Path. Mm -hmm. The story of Charlie Wenjack, or Channy Wenjack. Um, Why did this become something that you became so interested in? and so concerned about and wanting to tell the story. Well, my brother Mike gave me this sort of um, piece, one from the the Plains in 67, about a year after it had happened in 66. And it's just a basically sort of thumbnail description of a boy running away from, uh, uh, you know, uh, the... um, the, uh, the residential school? Yeah, that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And trying to get home. On a secret path. The one that nobody knows. And I'm moving fast. On the path nobody knows. This is the uh, best thing I've ever done. My best, I just mean it helps my heart a little bit. This is what I want to do. Nothing else really matters to me. I mean, we can think about how little we think about up there, but it's unbelievable. And uh, and yet their resilience, their ability to survive that, but there's still, like they say, there's seven generations to go to fix these things don't just get fixed now up there you know a lot of places not getting better like we would expect you know well everything gets better like getting a little bit worse and so now we have the chance to build something that will allow us down here and them up there to become to realize that makes us a country that's 150 well the last 150 years aren't as much worth celebrating as we think but uh, the new 150 years can be a year of building an actual nation, you know, with, like, imagine if they were part of us and we them, like, how incredibly cool it would make us, you know? And that's what's missing as we celebrate donuts and hockey. Do you feel connected to Charlie? Of course. I think everybody, if they just hear his story, will, you know? I think that's what people who hear, see his story read it, they do. I've heard that a lot. People that just can't shake it. 
Are you resigned to the direction this is heading? I am resigned to the direction this is heading, yes. I am. I really am. And because uh, I can see it um, and feel it doing some, not doing some good, but it's creating, or, it's creating something. And um, an opportunity. An opportunity, I guess. And they just don't come around too often. And um, yeah. Does that make it easier to deal with what you're going through? Yes, for sure. Until the next time, Gord. <laughs> I love you. I'm just love say you that. too. And a little kiss. I am just so thrilled to be able to follow in Gord's footsteps and tell Cheney's story to my podcast audience. But this story reminds me that so much music tells personal stories. And while I enjoy pop music, and I certainly have favorites from my youth, such as Michael Jackson and Madonna, I really have come to appreciate music written from the heart, such as these songs about Cheney, which you heard while I read some of the lyrics that Gord had written. And as I always do, I tried to find photos of Cheney, but it's so sad that there is only one photo of him that exists. However, I read that there actually are other photos of him, but these were taken by the police when he was found, which thankfully haven't been released, as this is not the way that he should be remembered. Now, if you look for information about Cheney, What you'll notice is that he is mostly referred to as Charlie, not Chaney, and I wondered why. Yes, the two names look very similar, so I wondered if somewhere along the way, when his story was told, that someone inadvertently called him Charlie. But then I was able to find out that a teacher at the school called him Charlie, but it's not really clear why. Was it a way to erase his Indigenous roots? to better assimilate him into the white culture, or was it just a genuine mistake, which then stuck? But I decided to pay respect to his Indigenous roots by using his birth name. Also in this story, I used traditional Ojibwe music, the First Nations group that Cheney was from, and I just found the music so mesmerising, just like our own Australian Indigenous music. And I would strongly recommend that you watch The Secret Path film. It was just so beautifully done, although intensely sad. It can easily be found on YouTube. And before I finish this episode, I really need to acknowledge one person who brought this story to my attention. So without her help, I never would have covered this gorgeous boy's story. I had already done another episode about Australia's history and the treatment of our own Indigenous peoples. And similarly, I wanted to do an episode about Canada. So I set about looking for a special story, and I wanted it to be a personal story of someone who had lived through the experience of the residential school system. While I found many stories, 
it was when a listener of the podcast, who lives in Canada, passed on this story of Cheney to me, and it just hit me so hard, and I knew that I had found the most touching but tragic story to tell. So thank you so much to Cheryl Dider from Canada. She sent me so much information, and it was within all the material she sent that I found this gem of a story about Cheney. And what a wonderful person to help me on my search. She's actually a school librarian. Can you believe it? How lucky was I? So Cheryl, thank you so much. You've been a longtime supporter of my podcast and a very much valued member of our Facebook group. And from my interactions with you, you're just a lovely lady. And I was also happy to find Chaney on the Find a Grave website. You can find him under the name Chaney Charlie Wenjack. And Chaney is spelt C-H-A-N-I-E, Wenjack, W-E-N-J-A-C-K. And let's finish now with a song written about Chaney by a First Nations man named Willie Dunn. Rest in peace, sweet Chaney. Walk on, little Charlie. Walk on through the snow. Moving down the railway line. I'll make it home. And he's made it 40 miles, 600 left to go. journey walking through the snow. 